Well, I want to welcome you here, and uh, especially those of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. Welcome over in the venue, and I'm grateful for you, Tim and Claudia and Pastor Joel, for leading uh, the worship and all that over there. That was great this morning. Uh, if you're watching online, we're glad you're with us, or maybe you're listening on the radio. Blessings to you. Um, before I get into this, let me, uh, let me kind of add to maybe what Pastor Rick talked about in, re in relationship to the uh, Christmas season. Um, for us, it kind of begins, for, when I say us, my family and I, it kind of begins tomorrow night. Uh, Lincoln Brewster is going to, uh, to be here, and uh, he's just a great way to kick off the holiday season. Uh, he was here last year, and, and basically that sold out in, a, a, I think, one or two weekends. We didn't even offer it out to the public. And I'm looking forward to just coming and enjoying some of the great Christmas uh, carols put in a modern-day context. And uh, then, of course, we have the praise service on Wednesday, and then Thursday is um, my favorite holiday, I think. Uh, it's very relaxing around my home. And in our family, um, everybody has a job to do. Everybody has something that they make or bake or whatever that might be. And, um, and you can do whatever you want. Like, like this year, I'm the dessert guy, okay? So I'm just going to Krispy Kreme and I'm getting a bunch of hot donuts. And for dessert, uh, it's just hot donuts. And that's just, that everyone's gonna be happy, I think. Uh, but you can do whatever you want, and, and so we really enjoy that, just hanging out at our home, being together as a family. And uh, then, of course, that kind of kicks off the Advent season. Um, and Christmas, um, you know, nothing wrong with lights and trees and presents and, you know, caroling and, and all that. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But that's not what the Advent season is about. It's about the fact that God so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born in a crummy little manger in a little town called Bethlehem. And that's what this season's about. Um, about five years ago, I introduced to you the, the concept of the three gifts. And it really has transformed a whole lot of our Christmases um, and really has kept the focus on, on Christ. And we'll be, I think next weekend or whatever, we'll put it on the website. We'll have it in here for those of you that might be visiting or maybe you forgot about that. And then I just want to remind you that in the month of December, we take a special offering that's over and above what we regularly give. And that offering goes to help out some other churches in our town. Uh, we have some brothers and sisters in the Lord that are meeting right now. They're worshiping the Lord just like we are. And um, for whatever reason, um, God has made a decision to, to bless us with a whole lot more than some of these other churches have. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so we take that offering and we do a little bit of research and we find out what some of the needs are at some of these other churches in our community. And we go to them and say, hey, your brothers and sisters of Big Valley Grace uh, just want to be a blessing to you and the work that God is doing in your church and your neighborhood or whatever that is. And so uh, just kind of keep that in mind as you kind of budget out um, the, the, this, uh, this Christmas season. Well, uh, we're in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at what God has to say uh, about certain topics. Um, 
I always um, have a file full of little notes that maybe you give me or emails that come in. Uh, it could be a text, a phone message, and everybody's got a thought on what I ought to preach. In fact, what's really interesting is, you know, it's, it often starts with this. The Lord has impressed upon me that you teach on this. <laughs> and it's amazing because the Lord is talking to so many of you and on all kinds of different topics. It's really kind of bizarre. Anyway, uh, I keep all those. And then about every two years, I do a kind of a, a series like this Q&A where I'm answering questions that you've asked. And, uh, and so that's where these topics have, uh, have come from. And uh, last week, we looked at what God has to say about the end times. And once you start to unpack that thing, it, it, um, I just came to the conclusion that it needed to be a two-parter, okay? So this is part two. And uh, this week, as I was kind of unpacking this thing, I, I thought, you know what, this, this really had to become a three-parter or a four-parter. I mean, you, you could really do a lot of fun things with it. But um, anyway, this is part two. Now, for those of you that are visiting uh, with us, I, I want to do a quick review of last week so that you better understand where we're at. You're our guests. And I don't want you to feel like you're an outsider, like, man, what are you guys talking about? So, so those of you that were here last week, um, just bear with me for, for, for just one moment, okay? And let's honor those that are visiting with us. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. He says, no one, he said, no one knows when that day or time will be, okay? Nobody knows when the end will come, not even the angels in heaven, not even the, the sun, when Jesus was down here in human form, he didn't even know when the end was coming. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man comes, when the end comes, it will be like what happened during Noah's time. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. It'll be the same when the end comes. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding uh, grain with a mill. One will be taken, and the other will be left. So always be ready, because you do not know the day your Lord will come. And obviously, Jesus gives this illustration of two guys that were out in a field. One of them was ready. One of them wasn't. It gives the illustration of two women. One, they were grinding grain. One was ready and one wasn't. And Jesus said, look, you, you don't know when the end's coming. Just, just be ready for it. Just be ready for it. Yeah. Beloved, to me, these are uh, the definitive words as it relates to the timing of it all. Nobody knows when it's all going to end. Nobody. Now, last week I told you that throughout the ages there have been a bunch of losers that have tried to predict it. But every one of them has been wrong. Imagine that. Everyone, every person that's ever predicted when the end was going to come has been, wrong, has been wrong. Why? Because nobody knows when it will come. Nobody. If Jesus didn't know when it was all going to end, how could anybody else know? But we do know what the next big moment in history is. The next big moment in history, according to the Word of God, is this thing that is called the rapture. 
There's coming a moment when God's going to come and get his people and gather us up and take us home. He's going to come and get his bride, is what the church is known as. He's going to come and take us out of planet Earth. He's going to come and gather up all true believers, if you will, and take us out of here. God's going to come and take us off this planet. In fact, I want everybody to pull that little chart out inside your program, okay? I made this up for everybody, handed it out last week. And I know it was a blessing to you because I got a zillion emails on the thing. So pull it out again, and I want especially those of you that are visiting with us today just to take a look at it. And it's okay if you disagree with it. It's okay. My, my, my feelings aren't going to be hurt. I'm just showing you as best I understand the scriptures, what, 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 the, what the Bible says. And obviously, if you look at the very beginning there, there was a moment when God created everything. I told you last week that I think the first five words of the Bible are the most important words in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Because if you can't get past those first five words, then nothing else is going to matter. So the Bible tells us that God created everything. He created the stars and the moon. He created planet Earth, all that kind of stuff. He created all the birds that fly in the air, all the fish that swim in the oceans and lakes and rivers and all that kind of stuff. He created all the worms and the bugs and the beetles that crawl on the ground. And then there came a moment, the Bible says, when God created his masterpiece, and that was you and I. The Bible says that we as human beings were created in the very image of God. Our brother James says that we, amongst all God's creation, are his um, prized possession. God created Adam and Eve. Then the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve um, uh, made the decision to disobey God. They sinned against God. They blew God off. And that moment brought sin into the world. It messed everything up. And at that moment right there where Adam disobeys God, really from Genesis chapter 3 on in the Old Testament, it was all about a God who so loved us that he promised he was going to send a Savior or a Messiah who would come and take care of the problem that Adam created when he sinned. And so in the Old Testament, how you were saved of your sins, how you were cleansed of your, of your sins, if you were, is you had to believe in the Messiah that God was going to send. Now, they didn't know who the Messiah was going to be. God just promised he was going to send a Messiah. And if you believed God, if you believed that God loved you and cared about you and, and, and God was going to send the Messiah, the Savior then he reckoned that belief as righteousness into your life, and so you were cleansed of your sin. Well, when you get to the last book of the Old Testament, it's the book called the book of Malachi. And after the book of Malachi, God goes silent. For over 400 years, God doesn't say a thing. He doesn't speak through his prophets. He didn't say anything. It's like, man, it's just gone dark. Nothing. For 400 years. Then after 400 years, God breaks his silence with an angel by the name of Gabriel. Gabriel shows up to a man and tells this man, hey, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And that baby was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. A few months later, that same angel, Gabriel, shows up to a young teenage virgin by the name of Mary. And that angel says to Mary, Mary, 
You are the one who is blessed among women because the Messiah, the Savior that God has promised, you're going to give birth to that child. And obviously that child was Jesus. And the, you know, the season, this Advent season is all about that amazing moment in history when God comes in the form of a human being. And you can see on your little chart up there on the jumbotrons, Jesus is born. And Jesus lived for about 33 and a half years, and he lived a, a perfect life, a sinless life. He voluntarily went to a cross. He dies on that cross. They took him off the cross, put him in a tomb, and three days later, he proved that he was who he said he was, and that was God's son. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. And how did he prove it? He walked out of the tomb. We call that Easter. And all over the planet, billions of people celebrate Easter, just like, just like we do here. Well, the Bible says that God went to be at the, or Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father. And that ushered in what is called, I don't know, the, the age of grace or the church age. It's the, the, the era that we all live in right now when it's about 2,000 years and counting. That's where we're at right now. We're in the church age. We're in the, the, the age of grace, if you will. And the next big thing to happen in human history is this thing called the rapture of believers. Now, you don't find the word rapture in the Bible anywhere. You don't find the word trinity in the Bible either. But you do find these great biblical passages that, uh, that certainly indicate that our God is a triune God. And last week, I shared with you a lot of passages that show us that, this, that there's coming a moment when Jesus is going to come and take us all out of here, rapture us all out of here. And if you're interested in learning more about that and you weren't here last week, you can go onto our website and watch or listen to the message for free. You can download our app and watch and listen to the message for free. Or if five bucks is burning a hole in your pocket, you can go out right here. After this gathering, go purchase last week's message and watch it or listen to it. I suggest, it's just a suggestion that you watch it for free. But we'll always take your money. Okay, There's, trust me, we're, we're, we're a church. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, um, when the rapture happens, here's where I'm getting to, that ushers in what is... Um, uh, called the, 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 the seven-year tribulation period or the great tribulation. Uh, it's also known as the, the time of Jacob's trouble. There's lots of names given to this seven-year period of time. And um, last week I told you that there were basically three things that happened during that seven-year tribulation period. Number one, God is taking back control of his planet. Okay? And when God comes and takes... Uh, back control of his planet, it's not going to be a pretty thing. It's going to be really ugly. It's going to be a horrific time here on planet Earth, which is why he comes and takes his people out of here. He comes and takes the bride of Christ out of here. He doesn't want his bride to go through this horrible time. Remember, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan was able to deceive Adam and Eve, and it brought sin into the world, and Satan became the god of this world, the god of this age. And one of the things that's happening during the Great Tribulation period is that God is, is taking back control of his planet. The second thing that's happening is God is pouring out his judgment on, on all those that have rejected him. 
So, so here's what's happening. All these unbelievers are left here on planet Earth, and God is judging them. That's the second thing that's happening during the Great Tribulation period. And number three, and this is what I want to talk about today. The third major thing that's happening during the Great Tribulation period is that God is dealing with his chosen people, the Jews. Now, I wish I had more time to set this up, but, but I don't. But I at least need to give you a thought or two to kind of set up where I want to go. Okay? Uh, God said this about the Jewish people in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He said, for you are a holy people. You belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not send his heart to, uh, on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, God simply chose you because he loves you. Beloved, you can't miss the fact that throughout the Bible, God has a special relationship with the Jewish people. You can't miss it. Even those of you who, um, you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God, and you don't believe that the Bible's God's word, if you were to read from Genesis, you know, chapter 3 on, basically, you, you see that God has this very special relationship with the Jewish people, with the nation of Israel. And he chose the nation of Israel, not because they had the best SAT scores or, you know, they were, had the mightiest army or they had the best looking guys or whatever. He just simply chose them because he chose them. Just because. Sometimes the, a good answer is, is just because. Sometimes my children will ask me a question, Dad, why did you do that? And you know what? I give them this answer, just because. It's okay to have that as an answer. God just says, I, I chose you just because. I just loved you. That was all. That's it. In fact, this relationship is so special that God said this in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1 says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, leave your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And I want you to know, beloved, that that's a weighty statement. It's more weighty than, than some of you really, really understand. If you were someone that was a blessing to Abraham or Abraham's descendants, you were in essence being a blessing to Abraham's God, and God promised that he'd bless you in return for that. If you were a nation that was a blessing to Abraham or Abraham's descendants, you as a nation were in essence being a blessing to Abraham's God, and God promises that he would bless that nation. And the opposite was equally true. If, you, if, a, if a nation cursed Abraham or Abraham's descendants, God said he'd curse that nation. In other words, to bless or curse Abraham was to bless or curse Abraham's God. Let me tell you one of the reasons why um, I believe God's hand of blessing has been on this church 
for a lot of decades. Uh, God's hand and blessing has been on this church longer than, than I've even been a believer. I gave my life to Jesus Christ here at Big Valley Grace about 30-something years ago. And God's hand of blessing has been on this church long before I was even saved, long before I was ever the senior pastor of this church. But let me tell you why God's hand of blessing, or one of the great reasons, is because this church has always been a great um, supporter of Israel. We have, um, in, in, in different ways, uh, honored this country. Uh, the country of Israel. One of the ways that we honor this country or the, the country of Israel is we, we do numerous trips to Israel. We take people to Israel. We, we do all that we can to help people understand the importance of Israel. And here's the deal. Just because God had a, you know, a, um, uh, uh, a special relationship with Israel, and I want to make sure you understand this, doesn't mean that he doesn't love anybody else. In other words, uh, God loves the Palestinians just as much as he loves the Jews. God loves the Iranians just as much as he loves the Jews. God loves the Egyptians just as much as he loves the Jews. Believe it, believe it or not, God loves Italians just as much as he loves Puerto Ricans. I know that's hard for some of you to understand. I, I know. God loves Canadians just as much as he loves us Americans. Just because God has this group of people that are special to him, just because he has a special relationship with the Israeli people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, doesn't mean he doesn't like anybody else. Now look, in Genesis chapter 3, when, when Satan was able to deceive Adam and Eve and brought sin into the world, and we got a mess. We got a mess over in the Middle East. I know there's a, a mess between the, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel and the Palestinians and all that. I know it's a mess, and this side of glory, we, we can't fix the mess. When Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and had the great fall, guess what? All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Sin has so ruined everything that we're never going to have anything clean over there. But I can tell you this. God loves the Palestinians every bit as much as he loves the Israeli people, and your pastor loves the Palestinians every bit as much as he loves the Jewish people. Just because God had a special relationship with the Jew doesn't mean he, everybody else he doesn't like. He died on that cross for everybody. It doesn't matter what color your skin was. It doesn't matter how much money you got in your 401k. It doesn't matter where you live. God died on that cross for everybody. Everybody. And he loves and cares deeply about everybody. But God does have this special relationship with Israel. You can't miss it. You just can't miss it when you're reading through your Bible. And my point in all this is that this special relationship really comes into focus right after the rapture during the seven-year Great Tribulation period, okay? If you were to read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, and if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 11, okay? If you don't have a Bible, I think it's in your notes, or it'll be on the jumbotrons or whatever. Um, if you were to read Romans 9, 10, and 11, they kind of play out like a TV miniseries. They, they, they primarily deal with the nation of Israel. In chapter 9 of Romans, we learn that the nation of Israel, the, the, the Jewish people, were God's chosen people. 
that God had set them apart from every other nation on the planet, but they weren't set apart from every other nation so that they could, you know, um, brag about it. They weren't set apart so they could sit back and go, yeah, God's our God. He ain't your God. That's not why God set them apart. God set them apart for a reason. He had a purpose in choosing them to be his chosen people or his uh, special people. God, uh, as I said, wants everybody to come to faith in Christ. God wants everybody to put their trust in the Messiah that he sent, in the Savior that he sent. And he wanted the Jewish people to be the first people that would tell everybody about God, about his love about his compassion, about his mercy, about his wrath, whatever all that stuff was. God set them apart and said, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be the ones who go and tell the world about me. But the Jews didn't like that. The Jews, uh, they wanted to keep God all to themselves, and we really see that coming into focus when you look at the story of uh, 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 Jonah. Right? God, God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, bunch of heathens, and I want you to tell them about me. I want you to go there and tell the people about how great I am, about, you know, how they can have their sins forgiven, blah, blah, blah. And Jonah goes, no way! I ain't going there. You're my God. You're our God. Why in the world would I want to share you with anybody else? I don't like, I ain't doing it. And God, you know, causes him to, you know, end up in the ocean where a big fish swallows him. And three days later, he gets spit up on a beach, and he's still all now, not, not all that thrilled about telling others about, you know, God, if you read the story. Well, what happened was, you know, um, they, they, they just fumbled the ball. The nation as a whole rejected God's Messiah. They rejected, you know, the Savior. Uh, the Jewish people as a whole rejected God's um, plan. They, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1, he, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. So what you've got in Roman chapter 9 is God sets them apart and he says, you're my chosen people. I want you to go share this great message of salvation with everybody. Tell everybody about the Savior. Romans chapter 10 is basically the fact that they have rejected the Messiah. And so what God does is he sets them aside. For those of you who are taking notes, I want you to use that phrase. First, they were set apart. And because they fumbled the ball and rejected the Messiah, the Savior that he sent, he set them aside, okay? So, when you get to Romans chapter 11, Paul answers a number of important questions about Israel, questions that have great implications for us today, questions like, was this setting aside of Israel, was it permanent? In other words, is God done with Israel? Did, did they blow it so bad that God's now finished with them? Has God forever forsaken the nation of Israel? Has, has, you know, I'll put it into a modern day context, has the church today replaced uh, Israel? Has anything good come from the rejection uh, of, the, of the Messiah? 
And he answers a number of other questions. And what I want to do here this morning is look at what Paul has to say about the nation of Israel, because there are some super important things that we learn um, in Romans chapter 11 about God, about the Jews, about the Gentiles, and about the end times. So let me unpack this uh, for you as quick as I can. Okay, I, I want to just look at a number of things here. Number one, look at verse one. First thing I want you to understand is that God has not forgotten about Israel. God hadn't forgot about them. Yes, they blew it. Yes, they rejected Jesus as a Savior, but God has not forgotten about them. Look at verse 1. Paul asks a question. Did God reject his people? And he's talking about a total rejection here. And it says, by no means. In verse 11, again I ask, did they, that's the Jewish people, stumble, blow it, so as to fall beyond recovery? And Paul says, not at all. Beloved, today God has set aside the nation of Israel due to its unbelief, but God has not forgotten about her. Some of you may have forgotten about her. There are some preachers out there that will tell you that, you know, they've forgotten about her. But God hadn't forgotten about her. No way. You see, there's this idea out there that says that, as I said, we, the church, have replaced Israel. We've taken Israel's place. The church has now become the, the Israel of God, if you will, which I want you to know is, is just crazy. And there are a lot of really great preachers, great theologians that, that I respect greatly who disagree. And, um, you know, there's room at the table of Christ for them. But I, I, I just want you to know, beloved, that, that's just crazy thinking, in my humble opinion. And I've had some conversations with at least one of my, one of my heroes of the faith who believes that. The great prophet Isaiah said this, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten about me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? <laughs> Though she may forget, God says, I'll, I'll never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. That's beautiful. And I think that there's a personal um, uh, application there. I think that God has the... You know, if you get, get this visual, our names written in the palms of his hands, all of us who believe in him. But certainly he's talking about the nation of Israel. Hey, hey, think about it. Can a mother who's had a baby at her breast forget that child? No way. But even if she could, God says, I can't forget about you. I can't do it. I, I've got your names written in the palms of my hands. And I just think that's an unbelievable great passage. God says, I can't forget you because I've engraved your names in the palms of my hand. Yes, Israel blew it when they rejected God's Savior, but God's not forgotten about them. Now, this brings us to number two. If God hasn't totally forgotten about Israel, what's going on? I mean, if the Jews are God's chosen people, what's happening to them right now? What's this setting aside all about? Well, this brings me to number two. God's disciplining Israel for the rejection of him. Look at verse 7 of Romans 11. Paul says, God gave them, the nation of Israel as a whole, a spirit of stupor, eye 
eyes so they couldn't see and ears so they could not hear to this very day. Ain't that interesting? In my humble opinion, this spirit of stupor that God gave the Jewish people is a form of discipline. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms 89. In verse 30, if his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sins with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David that this line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. Beloved, God disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines those whom he loves. And that means us as individuals, but it also means he disciplines a nation because obviously he loves the nation of Israel. And I believe that this spirit of stupor, if you will, is how God is disciplining Israel for their rejection of the Messiah, the Savior that he sent 2,000 years ago. Now, now here's the deal. Um, it's important to remember that not every Jew was given this spirit of stupor. I mean, you know, Paul was a Jew, and there's a whole remnant of Jews that were believers, but as a whole, the nation of Israel was given this spirit of, of, of stupor. Does that make sense? And we're talking about the nation as, as a whole. So what happened as a result of this setting aside of the Jews or this discipline or this stupor that God brought upon the nation of Israel? Number three, God is saving the Gentiles during this time of discipline. Look at verse 11 again. Again I ask, did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? And Paul says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, because of their sin, right? Because of their rejection of the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, born in a manger to a virgin by the name of Mary. Because of that, salvation has come to the Gentiles. One scholar said Israel's temporary loss was the Gentiles' permanent gain. Beloved, as I said earlier, God wanted the gospel to be preached to everyone, Jews and Gentiles. God loves everybody and wants everybody in heaven with him. That is the heart of God. Listen to me. God wants everybody there. And there are some of you in this room, there are some of you over in the venue, maybe you're watching online, you're listening on the radio or whatever, and you don't, you don't believe in Jesus. You're going to gather around a tree here in a month and have some presents and, I don't know, but you don't believe any of it. It's just, it's just a holiday. It's just this thing you do. I want you to know God loves you deeply. In fact, I think uh, there's a, this parable that Jesus told in, in Luke chapter 14 best captures the heart of God as it relates to this. It says this in, in verse 16. Jesus replied with the story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. <clears throat> but they all began to make excuses. One said, hey, I just bought a field and I gotta go inspect it. Please excuse me. 
Another said, hey, I'd love to come, but I just bought five pair of oxen, and I want to, you know, try them out. You know, i got to kick the tires kind of thing. Please excuse me. Another said, well, I have a wife, <laughs> so I can't come. <laughs> the servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes. Leave the town where all the Jews were. The Jews had all kinds of excuses why they didn't want to come. Now he says, go out into the country lanes. Get outside the walls. And who's outside the walls? Us Gentiles. We're the ones that are out there. Go out there and, 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 and go out behind the hedges and urge everyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. And beloved, as I said, this is exactly what's happening right now. People are being brought in from the country lanes and from beyond the hedges. That's us Gentiles taking our place at God's banqueting table while the Jews are in a spirit of stupor. In fact, there are a number of stories that Jesus tells where you see this, um, this idea taking place. That right now, God is going after us Gentiles. God is saving us Gentiles during this time of discipline. Now, not only did Israel's discipline bring the gospel to us, but number four, God is making the Jews jealous during this time of discipline. Verse 11, again I ask, did they, did the Jews stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Paul says, no, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Is that weird? Isn't that just unbelievable, that thought right there? This isn't me talking here. This is the Holy Spirit who has filled our brother Paul. And this is God's word to us today. That this discipline, this spirit of stupor brought salvation to the Gentiles, but it also is making the Jewish person envious, jealous. Now, I think Dr. MacArthur said it best. He said, God's, quote, God's ultimate uh, purpose in setting Israel aside was not to drive his people further away, but to bring them back to himself. He wanted to make them face their own sin and its consequences, to sense their alienation from Jehovah, to recognize their need for salvation and how he, that he now offered to the Gentiles. God has used even the great transgression of Israel in rejecting her Messiah to accomplish this ultimate purpose of bringing spiritual riches to the world, that is, us Gentiles. And that's what's taking place. In fact, you find me a, a, a religious Jew, an orthodox religious Jew, and I'll find you somebody who's not real thrilled with us. Man, they, they don't like especially uh, Jewish people that have given their lives to Christ. We call those Messianic Jews, uh, Jews for Jesus. We've had them here. 
Man, they're, they're, they're just an anger. There's a bitterness. And a, it's because of the jealousy that they have. They're envious that, that somehow, you know, we all run around talking about God and how much we love God and the relationship that we have with God. Now, because God has set Israel aside, uh, he had to develop another way to get the good news out, right? Well, this brings me to number five, okay? God, <clears throat> God is using the church all true believers to share his message during this time of discipline. Look at verse 13. Paul says, <clears throat> I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry. Look, remember, the Jews were the ones called by God to be the, the first missionaries to the rest of the world, but they blew it. So God opened up a new channel to get the message out. You. Church. You're now the, the vessel that is getting this incredible message out that God loves everybody to the world. And Paul gives a great illustration how, how we got the job in verse 17. Look at verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, okay, these are the unbelieving Jews, and you, the Gentiles, right, though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, Beloved, if, if you have an olive tree and, um, and you have a branch and it doesn't produce any olives, it's, it's useless, what you do is you come along and go, well, that's a useless branch. It's just taking up all the nutrients that are going out to the branch, but it ain't producing anything. So what you do is you, you cut that branch off. And then what you do is you can find another branch and you can graft that branch in, and before you know it, that, that new branch that you've grafted in, it starts producing fruit. That's what um, uh, Paul is talking about here. Israel was this unproducing vine. It had rejected the Messiah. They didn't want to go out and tell anybody about uh, Jesus. So God cut it off, set it aside, and now he's grafted in you, me, the church, we're the ones. Now remember, just because God has opened up a new channel doesn't mean he's totally given up on the nation of Israel. And, and we're going to see this more clearly here in just a moment. Now Paul goes on to give us Gentiles a stern warning about having the same kind of prideful arrogance that caused God to bring this spirit of stupor upon the Jews. Once again, I want you to look at verse 17. <laughs> It says, if some of the branches have been broken off, okay, the unbelieving Jews, and uh, you Gentiles, though you're a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. Don't boast over the branches that have been cut off. <laughs> Losers, you've been cut off, and now we have God. We have God. We have God. God's our God. You're a bunch of losers. Don't, don't, don't do that. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broke off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And what Paul's saying is, is listen, church, don't get cocky, don't get arrogant here. Yes, we've been grafted in, but if he wasn't afraid to cut off the original branch, he won't have any problem cutting off 
you. And I think that this has a, a local church implication too, though. I think one of the reasons why you find a lot of churches dying today, and they're dying, you can't even keep track of how many are dying, is because they forgot what the, one of their great roles was, and that was to go tell people about Jesus. See, the Jews didn't want to tell anybody about the Messiah. God cut him off. He grafted in the church, you. And when a church says, you know what, I'm kind of comfortable us for no more, and they start navel-gazing, and all they think about is themselves, guess what? God didn't have any problem cutting that church off. No problem whatsoever. And I think one of the reasons why this church and a lot of churches in our community are so healthy is because we do care about the lost. Now, we go about reaching the lost differently. We all have our own different methodologies, if you will. Now, I want you to know, in verse 17, Paul's not talking about losing your salvation here, okay? He's not talking about individuals here. He's talking about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel did not follow God the way God wanted them to, so he cut off the branches. He set them aside, and if God is willing to cut off Israel, his chosen people, don't be so arrogant to think he won't cut off other branches, i.e. America. Beloved, I believe America is dangerously close to being cut off Yes, God's blessing has been upon us for the last 200 plus years, but make no mistake about it, if God was willing to cut off Israel, his chosen people, he won't have any problem cutting us off as a nation. Let me tell you something. Um, the, the, the fact is, the reality is that this country was, was founded on, on biblical principles, you can see that fact by all of the buildings in Washington that have all these great passages etched into the, those buildings. This was a country that cared deeply about God, about God's purposes, and, and we were blessed because of it. This was a country that for hundreds of years, we were the ones who sent missionaries out to the rest of the world to tell the rest of the world about uh, who the Messiah was, who the Savior was. Today, that's not the case. Today, there are countries who send missionaries here. That's how messed up this country is. That's how far we've come back. No longer are we the ones sending missionaries out, but this country's become so dark that other countries now send missionaries to us to tell us about the Savior, to tell us about the Messiah. Listen. There is nothing in your Bible about America in the end times. Something happens to this great country of ours. Maybe God says, listen, you guys all think you're great. Snap, done. And I think we're pretty close to that. Now, thank the Lord for a lot of great churches, a lot of great preachers, a lot of great Christians who are, who are living out the faith and doing their best to tell others about Jesus Christ. Now, I need to get to number six here, okay? Um, and this is where the end times come in, okay? Um, God is going to return his attention back to the Jews during this seven-year great tribulation period. And verse 23 through 26 is really, really powerful. And I want you to pay close attention here. Everybody look at their notes, look, look at their verses, look up here uh, in your Bibles. I don't care where you're looking. Verse 23. And if they, the nation of Israel, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. Okay, God's saying, I, I, I cut them off, 
But I'm God. I can graft him back in again. Because I can do anything I want, God says, right? For God is able to graft him in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to um, nature were grafted in to cultivate an olive tree, how much more readily will these than natural branches be grafted in to their own olive trees, setting something up? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. Here's a problem. There's a lot of people that are ignorant about what I'm going to talk about next. There's a lot of great preachers, I think, that are ignorant of what I'm going to talk about next, what, what, what Paul says next. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, this idea that God can graft back in the original olive branch. He cut it off. He can put it back in. In fact, it's easier to put the original branch back in than it is to graft in you know, some wild branch. And then he says this. He says, so that you may not be considered. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. There's this spirit of stupor, this, this discipline, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Now that's interesting. Let me tell you what I believe Paul uh, is saying here, what God is saying through Paul, excuse me. He's saying this. He's saying that I, God can graft back in the, the branch he cut off. He can do that. He can do that easily. And there's coming a moment when God's going to graft that branch back in. And here's when it happens. It happens when the fullness of the Gentiles takes place. Well, what's the fullness of the Gentiles? I believe that there's coming a moment. It could be right now. It could be right now over in the Sunday school class. It could be at another church when the last Gentile is going to get saved. Some Gentile somewhere will get saved. That'll be the last Gentile to be saved. That's the fullness of the Gentiles. Every Gentile that's going to be saved gets saved at this one moment. And at that moment, when the fullness of the Gentiles happens, when the last Gentile gives their life to Jesus Christ, at that very moment, the father looks to the son and says, son, I want you to get my church. Go get my bride. Go get all my ambassadors. I'm going to war. And we always call our ambassadors home before we go to war, right? I want you to go get them because I'm going to go take back my planet. I'm going to go judge the unbelievers and it's time for me to fulfill my promises I made to my special people. And it's during this seven-year great tribulation period that there is a, an incredible uh, revival that takes place in Israel with all the Jewish people. And let me just explain this to you. Um, right now, in, in, in history, there are more Jewish people in Israel today than there is any other place on the planet. God promised that he was gonna gather the Jews back in Israel. Not every single Jew, but as a whole, he was gonna gather the Jews back in Israel. And that's what's happening right now. It's unbelievable what's taking place. All the Jews are going back to this pinhole on a map that you could fit in our Central Valley. That's how big Israel is. So the Jews are all congregating in one spot. God's got them all together. And let me tell you why that's important. When I was a youth pastor here, 
a very interesting thing took place Monday through Friday. Right down the street here at Grace M. Davis High School, down here down, uh, Byer High School, Downey High School, Modesto High School, uh, Gregory, uh, Enox, uh, all the different high schools, Monday through Friday, a, a miracle took place. All these high school students showed up on the campus between eight and two. So if I wanted to go tell people about Jesus, if I wanted to tell teenagers about Jesus, all I had to do was go right down the street here to Davis High School, and guess what? There they all were. All I had to do was go right down the street to Byer High School, and there they all were. All I had to do was drive to Modesto High, and there they all were. All the students were gathered in one spot, and it made it really easy to do events and different things to tell these people about Jesus. So here's what God's doing. Israel's kind of become like a high school, if you will. He's gathering all of his people into Israel right now so that they're all together so that he can reach them with this incredible message, the message of Jesus Christ. And some of you are going, well, how's he going to do that? Well, let me give you one big, one big way. And I don't have time to unpack it all. But in Revelation chapter 14, we're told about these 144,000 Jewish men. Revelation 7 tells us that there were 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 144,000 were um, super evangelists, if you will. And those super evangelists will all be in Israel, these Jewish super evangelists, and there they all are, 144,000 of them that will be sharing the message of hope with God's chosen people. Now let me give you a perspective, okay, uh, as to what that means. In the world today, if you took the whole globe, they estimate that there's anywhere from about 40 to 50,000 evangelical uh, missionaries in the world today. 40 to 50 evangelical missionaries that are in the world today. Over the whole planet, telling people about Jesus. 40 to 50,000. Imagine 144,000, not over the whole planet, but all centrally located in Israel. All there to share this incredible message that the Messiah has come. The Savior came. And it was Jesus. And it's during this great tribulation period that the greatest revival that we have ever seen on planet Earth will take place. God then goes back and he said, I made a promise with my people. I made a promise. They're my people. And yes, I've set them aside. They were set apart. But they blew it, so I set them aside, and a lot of really great things happened when I set them aside. But once the last Gentile gets saved, I will return my attention back to my people, my chosen people. And that will happen during the seven-year tribulation period. Now, here's the deal. I got a 1,000 questions last week, internet, all that kind of stuff, and I'm going to get a 1,000 more. So here's what we're doing. Um, in January, Pastor Gordon and I have talked, um, and Gordon is just like a, a, an expert on this kind of stuff. 
Okay, he, he really is an expert. And in January, we're not really sure when, but it's gonna be on a Sunday night, and we think we're gonna do it in the fireside room. He's gonna do a four-week series on all the different things that happened during the Great Tribulation period. I've just touched on one. But there's a lot of really interesting things that are happening during the tribulation period. It's data that you ought to know. He's going to take you right into the, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ and what happens during that time. And so we want you to know, I want you to know, that all of your questions I can't answer. It takes you 20 seconds to ask a question. And then you hit send. Well, it, it takes me an hour to try to answer that one question that took you 20 seconds to write. So it's impossible for me to get back to all of you. I can't do it. But what I can do as your pastor is this, is if the last Gentile doesn't get saved, <laughs> and the rapture doesn't happen, and I hope it does, but Gordon, I still want you to get it all together, okay? <laughs> In January, and we think of Sunday nights, what's gonna work best for Gordon, plus we don't have any room around here. Everything is just taken, every, every space. He's gonna put on kind of a mini four-week prophecy conference kind of, a, kind of a deal where he'll have a whole lot more time to unpack what takes place during the Great Tribulation and beyond, okay? So, so maybe that'll stop you from emailing me. Um, <laughs> hey, I want you to know something. I, I, I love being here, I love being your pastor. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not, um, messages like this aren't, aren't in my wheelhouse. You know, I, I'm not a great teacher of the word. I'm really not. I, I'm a better preacher of the word. And when you get to a message like this, it's much more teaching involved. But I sure hope that by the time the words left my mouth and hit your ears that the Holy Spirit did something with them that this kind of makes a little bit of sense to you and that you have a greater love for the Bible, that you'd have a greater love for the people of Israel. Let me tell you something, I think one of the reasons why a lot of families are goofed up is because they don't have a great love for, for Israel. I think the reason why a lot of churches are goofed up is they don't have a lot of love and, and respect and honor for Israel. And um, anyway, why don't you stand over in the venue stand and Joel's gonna, gonna kind of take it over from there over there. Father, thank you, Lord, for today and the great time of music. I've enjoyed every bit of it. Enjoyed last night, enjoyed today. I pray, Father, that as we head into this holiday season of Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and Christmas Eve and all that, God, that our minds would be on you and that somehow we don't get sucked into materialism and all the cruddy, sinful things that just ruin what this season's about. Help us, Lord. And Lord, I, I hope that you would come quickly. I hope the last Gentile gets saved today. Maybe it'll happen right here. I don't know, God. But until then, may we live God-honoring lives. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, go grab your kids in a hurry. Go, 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 go. Love you.